Welcome to the Wisdom and Wellness Parsha podcast, a weekly Eden Center podcast featuring Rabbanit Shani Tarragon with insights from the Parsha about women's health, relationships, mikveh and well-being. This podcast is hosted by the Eden Center that is transforming the mikveh experience by educating women how to use mikveh as the natural platform it is to connect to women's health, well-being and healthy relationships. Read our weekly blogs on a range of fascinating topics, download our wonderful publications, learn about our Balaniyot and Kala teacher trainings, and support us at theedencenter.com. Rabbanit Shani Tarragon has been a leading force in women's Torah learning and in Eden's work, and we are honored to combine two of her passions, Torah education and empowering us about women's health and well-being. Without further ado, Shani. I'd like to thank Nomi Grummet, the founder of Eden, and Jordana Shore, the mastermind behind this weekly Parsha podcast, for an opportunity to personally dedicate this week's Shi'or in honor of my mother, Mrs. Bobby Feiner, in honor of Mother's Day, which in fact, as we said, should be every day. And I wish I could personally thank my mother and properly express the gratitude I have for everything that she's provided for me and my seven siblings, Bleyai and Hara, from the time that we were growing up through the the health, support, and love that she embraces us all with, together with our children and grandchildren, and Baruch Hashem, for setting the tone in the home, the tone of Torah, and Aviran, an atmosphere truly of Kedusha, Simchat Torah on a day-to-day basis, and I think that that really has set the tone for the way that we all raise our children as well. Very often people would ask my mother, what's the secret? How do you have so many children whose lives are focused and centered around Torah? And she very humbly will say that it's because of how my parents would speak about Torah in the home, always giving proper respect to Rabbanim, Rabbaniyot, Talmidei Chachamim, my mother who spends her days now running from shear to shear or listening from one Torah Zoom shear to the next Torah Zoom shear with her tzvilot and reciting nearly all of Sefer Tehillim every day. If we were speaking about Shlomit Bativri as being the exception to the rule who used her words, unfortunately, in a negative manner, then my mother certainly represents one who uses her words in the most positive manner for tzvilah and for Torah, being careful never to speak negatively about anyone who represents Torah. And Mommy, I just want to thank you for your chinuch, for your love, for your shmirat halashon, for the lessons that you've provided us all with and are now able to transmit that be'ezrat Hashem for generations to come. With so much love, Shabbat Shalom. Welcome to Eden's Wisdom and Wellness for Women Parsha podcast. In this week's Parsha, Parsha Tamor, we continue to hear of the significant extension of Kedusha beyond the realms of the Mikdash. If you remember last week's Parsha, wherein we're told, Kedoshim ki Hashem alokechem. After completely removing ourselves from other cultures, we develop our own culture, our own phenomenal sphere of being able to develop a relationship with God through our behaviors, even beyond the Mishkan, beyond the Mikdash. We're told that through fearing our parents, through Shmirat Shabbat, through leaving the corners of our fields and our faces and respecting other people's faces, we intensify a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And this week's parsha continues to tell us that this similar Kedusha also relates to the Kohanim 
which is quite strange because we would think that the Kohanim who are in, involved in the Mikdash day in and day out, they should be the ones to teach us about the laws of Kedusha. And yet the Torah, just like at the beginning of Sefer Vayikra, told us first, Adam before hearing about how the Kohanim are going to interact with the sacrifices, we're told each and every one of the members of society of Am Yisrael can themselves come to the Mishkan. It's not a place just for the priests. This is a place for everyone. So too, don't just think that the priests are holy people. Each one of you is a holy person, the priests as well. And therefore, priests can even now affect the kedusha that God has given them, either through, as we find at the beginning of the parsha, through being mechalil, literally desecrating, removing the special status of an intense relationship that Hashem has given them through the choice of marriage, whether it's through and uh, marrying a zona halala, and through tum'ah, defiling themselves to uh, people outside of their immediate family, we find that now people can affect even the kedusha that Hashem has given them, either through tum'ah or even through mum, through some type of physical blemish. So to kachim, the karbanot, we hear it in the ensuing chapter, can also be affected same way, either through tum'ah, they can either become defiled or through a mum. So after hearing about the effects of Kedushat HaAdam, even beyond the realms of the Mikdash, this stage of we can even affect the Kedusha that Hashem has given us or that Hashem has invested in the Kohanim, a remarkable concept. We then hear of the next level, namely, if in the Mikdash we heard about all different laws for how long you can eat a korban. In other words, God mandates for Kedushat Hazman, the sanctification of time, now we hear that we can also sanctify time. The beginning of chapter 23 teaches us, Rashi explains, You can define time. You can sanctify time. And what is the basis of this? The very next Pasuk, just as we found, So too, now you're going to make time holy. Why? Because sheshet yamim tasem malacha uvayom hashvi shabbat shabbaton mikrakodesh kol malacha lo tasu shabbati lahashem b'chomoshvotechem. Just as God is a source of kedusha and allows for us then to develop kedusha, this intense relationship based on the different behaviors that are allocated, so too we can now define and sanctify time because God is the source of that also. God is the source of sanctification of time as we learned from Sheshit Yamim, as we learned from the six days of creation and the sanctification of the seventh day Shabbat. But beyond just introducing the source of Kedushat Tazman, the Torah is also teaching us that every time is going to have a dual dimension. One is going to be a Mikra Kodesh, one that we proclaim as holy, that we, the people of Israel, subjectify as special between us and God, relating to our unique history, God's involvement in our history. But the Torah tells us that every time is also going to have a Shabbat, a universal concept as well. Namely, the same time that we recognize God as the God of our history is also going to be the time that we recognize God as the universal God of the world, as the God of our agriculture, as the God of creation. And that's why we're going to see for every single one of these Moadim, each one of these times, there's going to be a dual aspect. Let's begin with that of Pesach. Begins in Pasuk Dalid. 
These are going to be, firstly, the subjective days that you proclaim as holy. Particularly, the lunar date. The lunar date that reminds us of the beginnings of Jewish history. God gave us our unique lunar calendar at the beginnings of history, from the first of Nisan in Mitzrayim. And this is why the first aspect that we're told to remember at this time of the year is Pesach Lahashem, your historical korban. Do you remember that sacrifice that enabled you to be saved from, from the plague of the firstborn through which you left Mitzrayim? And on the 15th, you're going to begin a seven-day matzah eating festival by Yom HaRishon Mikra Kodesh, literally a proclamation of holiness. The Ramban explains how do we proclaim it as holy? We are going to subjectify the day through wearing special clothing, eating special food, getting together in a baked neset. And the Torah tells us we also are going to set aside the day as holy through by taking the day off. We make that time a special time and be crafted Mishela Hashem, which will be expanded upon in Sefer Bamidbar, Parshat Pinchas. We're going to go to the Mikdash and we're told to bring collective korbanot at this time that we declare holy, remembering a special relationship manifest historically. But then the Torah begins anew. Tell B'nai Yisrael that at the same time that they're going to be celebrating the historical Pesach sacrifice, we don't have a lunar date, we have a solar date, an agricultural date. When you begin the harvesting season, you are going to bring the first of your harvest, which is You're going to bring the first of your barleys, basically, to the Mikdash. This is going to be an agricultural korban, another sanctification of time. But this is not unique to Am Yisrael. Rather, this is universal. Mohammed down the block and Christopher around the corner, they're also bringing their agricultural karbanot. And therefore, it's called Mimacharat HaShabbat. The Tzedukim, if you remember, said that this means to bring it on this first Sunday after Pesach. The Prushim said, no, you don't understand. And this context, Shabbat doesn't mean Saturday. In this context, Shabbat means the agricultural aspect of the holiday. The holiday is that of Tetvav of the 15th of Nisan. This is the day after the agricultural aspect of the holiday. This is going to be the time that you bring the Omer, literally the day after, after Pesach on the 16th of Nisan. And you bring together with with everyone else around you, agricultural sacrifices. The Torah then continues the next holiday. Notice the repetition of Shabbat, that universal 24-hour day, a solar unit. And now we hear of counting seven weeks, also a solar unit defined by Shabbat. The primary aspect of what we call is going to be an agricultural one. It's going to be predominantly a Shabbat, wherein we're going to bring the first of our wheats, the Mencha Chadasha Hashem, accompanied by this time a side dish of Karbanot. But the Torah adds at the end, at the same time that we recognize Shavuot as the beginnings of the wheat, the same time. 
that we have this Shabbat aspect, a universal recognition of God's involvement in our nature and our agriculture, it's also a Mikra Kodesh. There is going to be some aspect of our historical relationship as well. And this perhaps is a hint to the fact that there is a historical event related to the same time that we bring our Mencha Chadasha, namely that of Zman Matan Toratenu. We subjectify the day as well beyond the objective season of the year. We refrain from work. We bring also Karban Note during this time, even though it's very clear that the way that Shavuot is presented in the Torah is definitely more of an agriculturally oriented holiday, one that Baruch Hashem returning to Eretz Yisrael, we feel as well the beginnings of Bikurim, albeit we can't bring them to the Mikdash, we definitely feel the season that's in the air and henceforth appreciating this duality between the historical and the agricultural aspect of every moed of each one of the holidays. We continue with the next ones. A lunar date, referring to Rosh Hashanah. Now, this is interesting because I think we would all think of this as very subjective. This is a Mikra Kodesh, but what other word appears here? Shabbaton, Zechron Truah Mikra Kodesh. It's also a Shabbaton. Rav Yohan Benun points out that it's also the time, it's the beginnings of the agricultural season of the end of the harvest. It also is going to have a little bit of that Hayom Harat Olam, the universal aspect of the beginnings of the year when all of mankind, in fact, is going to be judged. And the subsequent holiday as well, the lunar date, of course, Yom Kippur, subjective for Am Yisrael, a special day of Kapara. We declare it as holy. And this time it's not celebrated in the same proclamation of holiness. We still don't perform any work. And we're still going to offer sacrifices, but this time we're going to refrain from food, refrain, refrain from physical pleasures. A special opportunity for Am Yisrael to achieve atonement. But then beyond all the terminology of Mikra Kodesh, of our subjective proclamation of holiness, we also hear the terminology, Shabbat Shabbaton Hulachem. There's also an agricultural side. There's also, albeit only a little bit of it, but definitely a universal aspect to Yom HaKippurim as well. When you recognize God as the God of your history, you also recognize Hashem as the God of your nature. And lastly, We hear of another lunar date, where we're going to celebrate Chakasukot and the general expressions then of our proclamation of holiness unique to Am Yisrael is going to be commanded here as well. For seven days, eight days, you'll have Mikra Kodesh Hashem. And in fact, immediately thereafter, it seems that the Torah concludes all the Mikra Ekodesh, Pasugla Midzayin, Eilemoade Hashem Asher Chikruota, Mikra Ekodesh, Lakriv Isheila Hashem, Ula Umancha Zevachunisach. These are all the Mikra'i Kodesh, all the lunar dates, all the historical dates that you, Am Yisrael, can subjectify as holy. You make them holy. 
You set them aside as times between you and God to intensify and develop a closer relationship and cognizance of Hashem's involvement in your lives. But then the Torah begins anew. At the same time that you're going to be celebrating the historical lunar aspect of the day, this is also going to be a time to recognize God as the God of your agriculture. You're also going to be harvesting everything into your homes. And therefore, again, the repetitive term is going to be Shabbaton. Yom, Hash- Yom Harishon Shabbaton, Yom Hashmini Shabbaton. And therefore, what's the greatest expression of our agricultural thanksgiving to God? Take a different species that represent your agriculture and particularly different different topographical avenues in Eretz Yisrael and different sources or, again, beneficiaries of different types of waters in Eretz Yisrael. Bring, You're going to bring agricultural produce and with that you're going to be happy before Hashem appreciating Hashem's involvement not only in your historical careers but in your agricultural ones especially living in an agrarian society recognizing how Hashem is so deeply involved in our lives subjectively but also objectively and universally and therefore the Torah tells us at this same time you're going to be sitting in huts well firstly if you're harvesting of course you're sitting in huts in the field you're not going home every day. So I make sure that you sit in huts. But then the Torah adds, you're not just sitting in huts as an expression of the agricultural season. You're also sitting in, in huts as an expression of the historical aspect, which is, What a beautiful understanding of Kedushat Hazman. With this, we conclude the Moadim, the ability to sanctify time based on the fact that God is the one who established a precedent of sanctifying time through Shabbat, teaching us that there are going to be objective times in the year embedded within nature, within the solar the solar calendar to recognize Hashem is ruling over all of all of the natural world and at the same time, the special Hashgacha Pratit of Mikra Kodesh, our subjective relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's why Immediately thereafter, we hear, you don't even have to wait all the time for for these special holidays to recognize God as the God of nature and the God of history in your lives. You don't have to wait. And until Chakashavuot, for example, albeit we're counting Sferata Omer and getting very excited for the next holiday and thinking about the cheesecake already. And yes, if we're talking about wellness, then at the same time, again, watching ourselves and our health and our calories. But we're also told by the Torah that we can experience this tamid, tamid, that through bringing natural sources such as the shemen zayitzach, you know, the oil that you that you collect and that you're going to need on an everyday basis, well, you can also sanctify that by contributing to the oils that are necessary to kindle the menorah in the Mishkan. And that you can do. You don't just have to wait around for special holidays. But rather, every single day, tamid, you can recognize God's involvement in every aspect of your lives. And certainly in the agricultural aspect of your lives. Or similarly, you can contribute to the lechem hapanim, to the 12 chalot that were placed on the shulchan by contributing the solet, the fine flour that's used. You don't have to wait once again to Shavuot to bring a minchach de halechem on behalf of the entire tibur. But rather, Every day, tamid, tamid, biyom ha-shabbat, biyom ha-shabbat, yarachinu lefnei Hashem. 
on a weekly basis. So just as the menorah is lit every single day, Tamid and the Lechem HaPanim brought on a weekly basis, the Torah is telling us that this cognizance of God's involvement in every aspect of our lives certainly is part of our annual cycle, but it's also part of our weekly cycle. It's also part of our daily recognition. Please join us for an incredible evening featuring seven women who will share seven perspectives on mikvah, taharat mishpacha, and marriage. Tuesday, May the 19th, 8.30pm Israel time, 1.30pm EST. Pre-registration is required and you can do so at www.theedencenter.com slash seven voices. Which brings us to the very end of the parsha, a very strange story. Well, firstly, it's story. It's a, the narrative, the only, or I should say, the second narrative that we find in all of Sefer Vayikra, which is really a legal code and a whole system of teaching us this uh, entire Weltanschauung of Kedusha, a life of sanctity that we live with HaKadosh Baruch Hu in and even beyond the Mikdash. So what is this narrative teaching us? Let's look at the very last section and try to understand how it's even connected to our bringing of a particular donations to the Mishkan. Vayetze ben Isha Yisraelit, v'hu ben Ish Mitzri, betoch b'nei Yisrael. We hear of a man, don't even hear of his name. He is the son of an Israelite woman, but he is also the son of an Egyptian man, and he's found betoch b'nei Yisrael. Chazal explained that he decided to identify himself particularly with the Jewish people, with his maternal ancestry. Vayinatsu b'machaneh. And there's some type of a belligerent activity going on in the machane ben ha-Yisraelit v'ish ha-Yisraeli. And uh, between here, the man, the son of the Yisraelite woman, and uh, a regular Israelite person. And our sense is that this belligerence is really over his identity. Is he part of the machane? Is he part of the people? Is he part of Am Yisrael? Vayikov ben ha-Yisha ha-Yisraelit. And what does he do in order to prove that he really is Israelite? He curses at Hashem. He curses the name of God. This is also strange, and we'll go back to this. We hear about his mother's name, Shlomi Bativri, from the tribe of Dan. And because they don't know what to do, no one has ever cursed God before. What should be done? In other words, if he's really a member of Am Yisrael, then he's infused with Kedusha. And we already saw at the beginning of the parsha that just as we can bring and develop a relationship to God in the Mishkan, so too we can even affect the Kedusha that God has infused within us. And that's exactly the question. Does this Ben HaYisraelit have Kedusha? In which case, his cursing of God really does have some effect. Again, Chas Shalom, not Hashem himself, but the name of God, the reputation of God, or not. So note how what begins as a civil dispute turns into a religious act of blasphemy, wherein he is going to test his identity through seeing whether or not it has an effect on on the reputation or the name of Hashem. And sure enough, Hashem says it does. 
אנא תיצ'ה דה פיפול אוף ישראל, איש איש כי יקלל אלוקה ונשא חטאו. And then we hear of other laws relating to sensitizing עם ישראל to not harming one another, not harming people, not harming their property. And this seems to show us that just as we found a narrative at the beginning of Sefer Vayikra with Nadav and Aviu, just as they... We're almost testing their relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, just as they so badly wanted to, uh, to get close to God, feeling that they could initiate a relationship with God. And Hashem says, no, there's only so far. I mandate just how far you come. Note that the stories or the laws here of Kedusha, of Kedushat HaAdam, Kedushat HaZman, ends with even Kedushat HaAdam goes so far as to tell you that Someone who wants to have an effect on the name of God can have that effect on the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And both then are stories wherein Hashem's mandates basically say, because you are, are supposed to be sensitive to Kedusha, which stems from God, but ultimately is supposed to affect man, be careful. Be careful of the borders. There's going to be a limitation on one hand. Nadzav and Aviyu can cut as close to God as they want. And here, the man who curses the name of God is going to, in fact, have an effect. This is the story of the Megadef. What starts from social frustration turns into religious heresy, teaching us, in fact, that our identity as the Jewish people, and which begins perhaps on a social context, and can have effects certainly on a religious level as well. We're told to be a mamlecha kwanim and goy kadosh. We have to retain our humanity, but redeem our existence as we aspire for kedusha. Nadav and Aviu failed to recognize the limits of humanity, while the Megadeh failed to redeem his human existence. I want to end, though, with the, the story of the Megadeh, whose mother is mentioned. Because if we're already talking about mothers right before Mother's Day, then important to even go back to the beginning of the Parsha of the Moadim. Note how the Torah tells us that there are certain days that we look forward to throughout the year, wherein the uh, historical involvement of Hashem and Hashem's guidance over nature is going to be most manifest, whether it be Pesach and Shavuot and Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur and Sukkot. But then again, tamid, tamid. We're all familiar with the hackneyed phrase of, well, every day is Mother's Day. It's true. Every day we can bring solet. Every week we can bring the lechem hapanim. But nonetheless, there are certain times that we sanctify. There are certain days of the year that we put aside so that those sensitivities are heightened, so that we appreciate Hashem on a greater level. Which then brings us to that final story, the story of the Megadev, the blasphemer, who is not only undergoing an identity crisis, he's a Ben Ishah Yisraelite and also a Ben Ish Mitzri. And Chazal tell us of a horrific story that his mother's name is identified, Shlomit Bativri, because Shalom, Shalom, she would say hello to everyone. And in fact, she was beautiful and unfortunately a little flirtatious. And she didn't even recognize when her husband, who's identified as Datan, when her husband goes out to work in Mitzrayim, then an Egyptian taskmaster comes in and basically rapes her. And this is the child who uh, on one hand knows that his mother is Israelite, but his father is Egyptian. And uh, on one hand, we're looking at the story and thinking, why do we have to hear the name of such a, a mother then? Why is her name pointed out, especially in Sefer Vayikra, when uh, not only do we not have so many narratives, but within the story itself, we don't even know the name of the person. 
not only are we learning from here that, yes, obviously mothers set the tone for the home and not children being a product, even more than from the father, from the mother, the mother's name is mentioned. But Rashi explains beautifully, quoting the Midrash, he says, why, did this, why does the Torah go, to, go out of its way to mention Shlomit Batzivri? To teach us, he says, and not of her negative traits, but rather Shivchan Shal Yisrael Lizo, that this is really coming to emphasize some positive aspect. Lomar to teach us that she's the exception to the rule. She is the only one that this happened to. She is the only one who had these negative traits. The Lubavitcher Rebbe expounds upon this in his Sichot, and he tells us, again, just like the Rambam mentions, that when we find certain names in a Sefer Breshit, for example, even Timna and certain concubines that are mentioned in Sefer at the beginning of of the Chamishachum She Torah to teach us that every name has importance, certainly after Matan Torah, certainly a name within the Jewish people all the more. So at the Lubavitcher Rebbe points out, he says, we need to know about Shlomit Bativri because through her, we see how special the women of Israel are. If we didn't have the story, if we didn't have her name, if she wasn't singled out, we would never know what the true spirit of the Jewish women were. If we didn't know that she's the exception to the rule of Jewish mothers, then we wouldn't know how special the Jewish mothers are. And how special are the Jewish mothers? The Jewish mothers really do set the tone for the entire family. The Jewish mothers really are the ones to invest the proper values in their children. The Jewish mothers are the ones who understand, albeit sometimes difficult, especially in today's day and age, again, to know the realms of privacy, the uh, what should be out in the public sphere and what shouldn't be out in the public in the public sphere, what we should post on Facebook, what we shouldn't necessarily Twitter one to the other. It's the mothers of Yisrael who are really are going to be the source of creating Kedusha in their private homes. They're the ones who preserve Kedusha Tashem. A beautiful tribute then, in a somewhat ironic manner, for mothers on the eve then of Mother's Day, which, yes, really is every day. But just as the Moadim, there are certain times of the year that we do have to recognize what the rule is, what our values really are. And sometimes when we look at the undermining of those values, it only compounds for us what we're supposed to be striving for in creating Kedusha of our homes and the effects, ideally the positive effects that this can have on our children. Wishing you all, especially the mothers out there, a Shabbat Shalom and a happy Mother's Day. Is there someone in your life that you want to honor? Someone who has helped you out or inspired you? Maybe it's a medical professional or a teacher or a yoetzet who went above and beyond to help you or a yard site or death that you want to mark, please consider making a donation to support this podcast in honour of a special person in your life. This episode of Wisdom and Wellness was recorded by Shani Tarragon, music courtesy of Shimona Gottlieb, and is a product of the Eden Centre. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a five-star rating, share this podcast on social media, and encourage others to subscribe. We welcome your feedback, sponsorships, and support. You can reach us at www.theedincenter.com.